Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, coming to you from San Francisco, California. People who create, people who make a difference. Hope you had a great week. I did. Amongst many other things, I was busy with scheduling. Next week, cannabis activists David Goldman and Kenneth Michael Cohen will be on the show to talk about cannabis. Later in the month, Michelle Alcedo of Open House will be on to talk about the work that organization does for LGBT seniors, which is a group, quite frankly, that I don't hear a lot about. So when I heard about Michelle's organization or the organization she works for and the work that they do, I thought it would be really interesting to learn more. The following week, author and adventure traveler Anne Sigmund will be on the show. She, uh, Anne has a really interesting story. At 48 years old, she suffered a stroke caused by a little-known immuno or autoimmune disease called antiphospholipid syndrome, or APS, which is way easier to say. Uh, despite that major life setback, she recovered, and she continues to travel to remote regions from Burma to Iran to Syria to Uzbekistan. She's currently finishing a memoir called Scrambling Back about surviving stroke and resuming her travel to remote, remote corners of the globe. And so I'm going to talk with Anne about stroke, about memory loss, and autoimmune disease, and of course, about travel. Two new episodes of my uh, new podcast, Words and Images, are out this week. On Wednesday, my interview with Tanya Romanoff-Amachayev comes out, and we talked about Tanya's book, Mother Tongue, which is the true life saga of three generations of Vulcan women, including Tanya herself. Tanya is a writer, traveler, and award-winning photographer, and she was born in Serbia but spent her early years in a refugee camp in Trieste, Italy. She went on to attend San Francisco Public Schools, UC Berkeley, and the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and she also served as CEO of three IT companies. Now, although they had very different experiences, Tanya's story is similar to my recent guest, uh, Nahid Fatahi's story, in that they were both refugees who have gone on to make incredible, inspiring lives for themselves. So check that episode out and check out Nahid's episode as well, because that was a great one. Then on Thursday, in celebration of opening day of the Mill Valley Film Festival, I'll be releasing the first interview that I did with program director Zoe Elton. Now, Zoe, of course, was on last week. Um, but back in June, we talked about, um, we talked right after she came back from the Cannes Film Festival. And we talked about the Cannes Film Festival, what, what it's like to go to, to, to Cannes. Uh, we talked about film festivals in general. And we also talked about the history and evolution of the Mill Valley Film Festival and, and a whole bunch more. It was a really interesting, fun chat, so watch last week's episode with Zoe here on Facebook or on YouTube, and then go listen to the conversation that we had on iTunes or Google Play. And while we're at it, please subscribe, rate, and review. Help me get the word out. Again, as I've said before, that's the only way that the word does get out, and I really appreciate it. In other news, as I mentioned last week, Amazon has put the paperback version of my book, With Open Arms, Short Stories and Misadventures in Morocco, on sale. It is 40% off. I have nothing to do with this sale, so I'm not sure how long it's going to last. Normally, it's $9.99. Now, it's $5.99, uh, which is even cheaper than the ebook, which doesn't happen very often. But the book has topped the Amazon Africa category as well as the Morocco one three times, so hopefully that's a sign that it's a decent read. And uh, if you haven't checked it out yet or thinking about it, now would be a great time to do so. All right, enough about uh, all that. Let's get into today's show. Litquake is an annual literary festival started in 1999 in San Francisco that has since spread to cities throughout the country and abroad. The festival consists of readings, discussions, and themed events, and it's her heralded as the largest literary event west of the Mississippi. 
Perlitquake's website, website to date 7,100 authors and 145,854 down to the attendee. Uh, attendees have participated in the festival. It would take several episodes to list all the well-known authors who have attended, uh, but we're going to talk about a lot of them today, so hold that, hold that thought. Uh, popular demand has driven Litquake to expand further and further. As I mentioned, uh, they're now overseas and in other cities here in the States. Specifically, they have localized editions of, of what they call Lit Crawl, which is essentially the culmination of the festival here in San Francisco. And as the name suggests, it's sort of like a pub crawl, a literary pub crawl. We'll talk, we'll talk more about that in a second. But Lit Crawls are now in Seattle, Los Angeles, Portland, Austin, Denver, Chicago, and on and on. They're also in the UK, New Zealand, couple places in Ireland, and even Helsinki, Finland. Per their website, Litquake's mission, quote, Litquake's mission is to contribute to the creative economy at large and make more literature more available to readers of all ages through ever-evolving performances, readings, workshops, and film programs during the annual festival and its year-round programming. By commingling public life and literary art, Litquake uses literature as an agent of the public good. Jack Bulware is a San Francisco Library Laureate, a journalist and author of three books, Sex American Style, San Francisco Bizarro, and the Bay Area Oral History, uh, sorry, Punk Oral History, Give Me Something Better. Give Me Something Better. Jack has written for the San Francisco Weekly, Playboy, and the New York Times Magazine. He has also been a contributor to Wired, Business 2.0, Travelocity, and Salon, where he contributed a daily column called Naked World. And of course, he's here today because he is, along with my previous guest, Jane Ganahl, co-founder of Litquake. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Uh, so as I mentioned, Jane was on in July, and I'm a little concerned. I'm wondering, do you think I was too hard on her? Because she didn't, you know, she was going to be on today. She ended up sending you at the last minute instead. Was I too hard on Jane? Did I say something? Is there some reason? Brutal. She Brutal? was not expecting the interrogation. Yeah. Because she seemed like she yeah. was okay with it. But then, I mean... No, she lost a lot of sleep. Lost a lot of sleep. There was a lot of rage. A, a rage, even. Uh, at, directed at you. At me. And so I'm here to try and smooth... No, gee, I, I live five blocks away. You're here so, to smooth things over. Uh, that's why I'm here. Okay. All right. Because, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my conversation with Jane. It would break my heart to think that she was filled with rage as a result of our conversation. All right. One of the things we talked about when she was here was the history, and we did you know, sort of an overall look at the festival because it was way too early to talk about this year's festival. So without rehashing all of that, can you give viewers just a little bit of um, insight into how the festival came to be? Uh, it all, for me, goes back to uh, a Scottish bar in San Francisco. Um, there was a, a, a series of readings that were that were going on in the mid to late 90s. And um, Jane and I were among a group of writers who would attend those and sometimes participate in them. And you never knew if you're going to be asked to do a reading or not. At the time, I was a journalist uh, uh, full time. And uh, a lot of us were a lot of people were from different walks of life. Some people were just sort of working on. Things. I mean, it was just very raw, and uh, so if you were asked to uh, do a reading, everybody would write something new. It was just that sort of weird experimental laboratory kind of thing. And so, at some point, out of this group of people, uh, you know, emerged the idea of maybe we should do a festival because nobody's caring about us. It's um, the no, the tech boom 
1.0, I guess you'd call it, was sweeping through San Francisco. Nobody was caring about books, really. Uh, there weren't a lot of literary readings in the city. There were uh, bookstore events. There was, you know, uh, the, you know, there were things at the, like the Commonwealth Club, City Arts and Lectures, but uh, there wasn't a lot of stuff going on. There had been like a spoken word scene in the Mission District in the uh, 80s and 90s, but that was kind of gone by that time. And so, uh, I don't know, we decided, uh, you know, let's, let's just do something. Let's put something together. Um, I remember going to a, uh, a party and a woman, uh, told me that, uh, she was a writer. She was asked what I did. And I said, we're, you know, starting this festival. And she said, I'm a writer. And I said, well, what do you write? She goes, right now I write for pampers.com. Oh, wow. So that was sort of the <laughs> level of, uh, you know, literature. I mean, and they were great writing gigs. Yeah. If you were a writer and you, I benefited from them, we all did. It was like uh, uh, free money, basically. Because Pampers actually sponsored the first Litquake, I think. Can you imagine what a diaper content <laughs> website would be? Uh, exactly. You know, we've had to sort of like uh, think about that over the years. But anyway, um, there were a lot of these people, you know, who were uh, getting great gigs. And then the thing crashed and... Uh, I don't know. It, it, so Liquid sort of uh, in some ways ro arose up as a, a kind of reaction to all of that. Uh, there were billboards everywhere all over the city. The cars were covered with ads. It was um, a heady kind of time. There were parties, you know, tech part, And it was just really odd. I mean, uh, a lot of us were writers in San Francisco, not because of all of that. We were there because... Hey, you know, Allen Ginsberg read Howl at a gallery in the Fillmore in the 50s and everybody sat on the floor and it was like this, uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like we, we looked at the literary scene of San Francisco as, as uh, uh, the pinnacle and be all, but it had its own rough and rough charm mm -hmm. to it and it did uh, attract people from all over the world. Right. To continue to move here because of city lights and, uh, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, but those readings in the 50s were, you know, uh, those were um, very small kinds of things. Uh, um, you know, they weren't selling out, you know, uh, Palace of Fine Arts or something like that. Uh, eventually, we started researching, like, what were literary festivals like in the Bay Area? Um, there was something called the San Francisco International Poetry Festival that ran for a while uh, I don't know, nine or ten years, maybe more. Uh, the library was involved with that. The uh, the city uh, was involved with it a little bit. And, you know, it kind of just went away, like, before we started. So um, there there was a uh, a festival um, put, put on by the Northern California Independent Booksellers Association, and it was just sort of outdoors <laughs> weekend event, and it was mostly uh, uh, book sales and uh, booths. Uh-huh outdoors and uh books by the bay was called and so when liquid started that was sort of still going on but then it kind of uh, uh disappeared after a few years and then sort of like i don't know we uh we're we're doing it now right, right. there's some nobody else is really doing this um and uh yeah i mean they, and they were great the books by the bay it, it was just uh uh much more sort of commerce driven and industry book industry sort of uh, driven. And that right. was kind of the, a lot of book festivals around the United States. That's what they were. That's all they were. It was sort of the books industry is, uh, you know, financing these. It's aggressively driving you to go buy as many books as you can. You finish with an event and there's a giant tent full of books that you're just supposed to go buy and browse. Please browse. Um, 
and uh, you know, there we ended up being a festival of readings and live performances and this sort of performative uh, element because there was already this book festival right. that was driven by the book industry right. with booths and panel discussions and uh, um, that was already going on. And so we sort of evolved, uh, uh, not independent from the book industry, but uh, not as uh, heavily aligned with it. Different as, motivation, more <laughs> celebration, less le of, of actual... The literary arts versus trying to sell books. Right. It's, you know, it, it, we're a literary festival. We're not a literary uh, conference of uh, book sales. Right. 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 Necessarily. Or even a, a conference of just ideas. I yeah. mean, those are sort of slightly different variations on, on you know, these kinds of ideas. Uh, and so we uh, have never, we always try to, you know, remember, let's not make it boring <laughs> that's, let's not that's... make it boring well it's not boring and clearly clearly you struck a nerve because i just want to list some statistics really clearly here that show your growth that show the growth of sure. real quick i know that was a long answer to one question so well sorry we've got about plenty that. of time okay we've got plenty of time i can hear the comments we, typing already we can make we can make this a set a multi-episode episode if we need to <laughs> but let me just chart because it's really interesting how quickly you grew so 2002, it wasn't initially called Litquake, became rechristened re Litquake. Uh, 2003, you had 100 authors over four days. 2004, you had 175 authors over nine days. So that's just in one year, you almost doubled. You essentially did double time-wise, almost doubled with authors. 2005, nine days, 250 and 7,250 authors, 7,000 attendees. 2006, almost 8,000 attendees, 300 authors. If we fast forward to 2017, last year, uh, do you know the stats off the top of your head? No. Okay. Because I've do. got them here. I I've know got them you here. do. I just didn't know if you would know. Uh, because if, if it were my festival, if I had started this, I would be so proud I might actually know these. So Nine Days and Nights, which we already know, 850 authors featured last right. year, 14,300 attendees, 180 events in 160 venues, 86% free admission, which we're going to talk more about. 90 literary partners, 45 sponsors, 800 books given to children. So your little idea, quote unquote, little idea in a bar at the Edinburgh Castle, uh, clearly, like I said, you struck a nerve and um, how lucky for us, San Francisco, for, for the entire community nationwide and now even beyond, uh, beyond that you guys had this idea and decided to do something about it and actually make it happen. So thank you for that. Let's talk about this year's festival. Okay. Um, because like I said, talked a lot about kind of the big picture with Jane and, um, there's plenty more that we could talk about, but let's focus on this year's festival because it's happening. It's imminent. It's happening, uh, Thursday, October 11th through Saturday, October 20th. So other than the specific programming, and we are going to talk specifically a lot about the specific programming, uh, any big changes this year in so far as approach or, um, or is it, really just that the changes in the programming or are there any big differences well we added one year? more day oh you added one more yeah because it's 10 days now i did notice that i counted um we consolidated a lot of our international programs into a weekend of events um you know we're using different venues all the time like you know uh, 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 as things become available to us um gosh i don't know uh, it's uh, the programming is so different every year yeah. that it's uh, it's not like the same festival at all. Well, one question I noticed there are events, a few events in Oakland and Berkeley. Have you done that before? 
or is that always you always do do that okay. uh actually this year for whatever reason we have fewer events in the north bay south bay and east bay okay and you do stuff for, in, in for, marin as well uh or? we have in the past okay. uh some uh i mean people uh, um you know we don't have staff from san francisco who go up there but people up there uh, uh put them together um i don't know why that is necessarily but it seems uh that more of the festival is centered in the city itself this okay. year. Okay. So that's something different. And the only thing that I saw in the program specifically called out as new is the uh, first ever Lit Crawl Book Fair. That is new. So um, That is new. Can you tell us just a quick soundbite about what that is? Um, the Lit Crawl uh, runs 108 events in four hours and... <laughs> Through the Mission District, uh, right. and that's massive. Like ten thousand people attend that, and right. it's. Uh, but the book, you know, people part. are uh, jaywalking. Every it's it's it's, it's quite mad. A lot actually, of get hit by cars during, um, during lit crawl. Never, never. an injury. Okay, good. Uh, good. We knock on wood for knock that. On wood, but yeah, I shouldn't even joke about um, that. We uh, decided to do um, some sort of book fair that is. Um, I don't know that, that that matches the personality of the lit crawl specifically. Okay. So this is not a book fair where um, major publishers, you know, are invited to buy a booth. This is uh, a fair. Uh, it's there. There's not enough room really for everybody. We've had to turn down many uh, requests for people who would like a table, but it, it's small presses. It's small um, reading series. It's a variety, a wide variety of groups that uh, agreed to, um, you know, give us a few bucks for a table. And, and there will be this sort of afternoon book fair from, I think, 1230 to 4 Okay, PM. so before Lit Crawl. It's before Lit Crawl. So people can come in, wander around, uh, you know, have, have something to eat and drink if they like. And it's at that place. I can't remember the name. It's not the Abbey. The what Chapel. Was it the Chapel. That's right. What it is. Yeah. It's at uh, the chapel. A former funeral parlor. And it used to be a... Wasn't it the new college? Also? It was the new college yeah. many years ago. Yeah. Right. It's hard to keep up. Hopefully it stays the chapel for a while. Okay. So that's th a couple new things. Let's talk about you have, I looked on your website, obviously preparing for today and you have 42, what you call featured authors and participants. And those presumably are the ones who are doing maybe the biggest events or, or they just had the best photos. They had the best photos. Well, that makes it easy, but 42. And their photos were amazing. There are a lot of handsome and you know, beautiful people uh, participating. So there's the 42 featured, but then you also have 155 additional normal. I don't know what, the, what, what we're going to call those. Um, other, we'll just say, well, if we say other, that doesn't sound we're like we're giving them enough credit. But anyway, 155 additional, let's say, authors and participants on the website just that are kind of, again, featured, even though they're not in the featured category. I'm bringing all that up because I'm wondering, you know, as I was preparing for today, um, I was, I wanted to research all the authors and everyone who's participating. Of course, it very quickly became obvious that there was no chance in hell that I was going to be able to do that given those, because that's just a fraction of the overall number of authors who are participating. Right. But my question, which I'm finally getting to is how do you guys choose? Because that is such a large number. And I know that you've already whittled it down even to get to 50 uh, to 42. And then that 155. Right. what's your process just at a high level? Um, well, first of all, uh, uh, I should say that 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 sort of featured author and then other author is merely a feature of the software. Oh, and really? That is not in any way a committee driven decision, whether someone is a featured author ah, or not. Interesting. It's, you know, 
people putting the website together thinking, well, this is a, a coup to have this particular author. Let's make them a featured author. Uh, I wouldn't okay. read into it any more than okay. that. Okay. All right. Um, there's, okay. I don't know, uh, eight or 900 authors this year. Right. And right. the lit crawl typically has 500 of them. Right. Right. Roughly. Yeah. So there's, what is that? Three to 400 people uh, are featured in the festival up until the lit crawl. Yep. Yep. So what's your process for uh, for coming up with those 300 people? Because, again, that's just a massive amount. It's a lot. It, uh, people know us. They come to us with ideas. We uh, work with pub publicists and book uh, ho publishing houses in the various imprints. We work with them all year round sometimes. We're emailing them in January. We're contacting them. We're asking, what's, when's your catalog? The catalogs for October. For fall releases in the book industry typically are published in April or May. And then at that point you see who has a book coming out that it, and may they, uh, might they be on tour doing a West coast tour of the United States and might they be really interested in doing liquid as opposed to some of the other outlets they could do. So there's that element. And then there's just the element of people that we know who have books out, who we chase down, in the corners of the globe. Uh, Michael Scott Moore, for instance, uh, who has this new memoir about being imprisoned by Somali pirates. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we worked with him directly. We didn't work, go through his publicist or anything just because he's a, a friend of Jane and mine from, you know, years ago. Yeah. Uh, so there are those connections. Uh, we have a submissions process that opens up in January or February each year and people submit ideas over the transom to us. And uh, we always accept a, a number of those. Um, sometimes venues, book, bookstores, um, uh, bring us ideas. What do you think of this? Um, we work with a variety of consulates oh, to, yeah. uh, to, we meet with them each year and see which authors their, uh, country is touring in the United States. Yeah. Or is there a, a hot book that we, we know about that is attached to that country and that consulate might be interested in? creating a tour uh so so they're really coming at you from all sides i mean and we're reaching out to them on yeah. all sides and yeah. then there's a, a massive online catalog of every single book publisher catalog in the united states for spring and for fall and you just scroll through those mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. so time consuming yeah it's so nerd like yeah <laughs> uh yeah and there's I don't know. It, it, it really kind of comes from, you really have to keep your ear to the ground. A lot of, you know, ideas for events came initially from just reading an article online or seeing something that this book is coming out or, Hey, I wonder what that person's up to. You Google them. Oh, they have a book coming out next fall, whatever it is. Uh, so it, it comes. And then sometimes we'll just, we, we also track uh, uh, one year, three year and five year lists of ideas for events. And as we come uh, come across an idea, we'll just throw it into some data sheets and uh, return to it later. Some of our events are um, based on those ideas mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, hey, it's the anniversary of whatever this year. We've done a number of those sorts of anniversary events uh, for, for authors or books. Right. And uh, it has nothing to do with the book industry. It's just an interesting date, interesting book. There's an audience for it. Uh, Let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Let's push it through. Yeah. And, you know, usually you can get a bunch of fanatics on on your side that are fans of that particular entity, whatever it is. 
and it comes together. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's talk about some of the big events that have come together. Um, so I'm just gonna, like I said, I just- Just throw them out I'm there. I'm just gonna throw them out there, some of the big names, and then um, we're also gonna get into some of the, the other stuff, um, you know, some of the things going on at Lit Crawl and, and, and the other events. But Michael Chabon, how do you say that name? Shaben. Shaben. Okay, there we go. I've, I've heard him speak. I've read his books. Okay, Shaben, thank you. Uh, with filmmaker Arwen Curry. Can you tell us about that event? Arwen is a filmmaker who lives here in the Bay Area. She did this uh, film documentary about the author Ursula K. Le Guin. She was friends with her. Um, Ursula grew up in Berkeley, lived in Oregon, just passed away yep. earlier this year. She interviewed a number of people to make this documentary, Michael Shabin being one of them. Yep. We asked her if... She, I can't remember if she came to us or we reached out to her, but in any case, this is the area premiere of the film we're doing at the Alamo Draft House for Liquid. Mm -hmm. And she'll be in conversation with Michael Shaven. And that is, uh, um, that was her idea. We asked her if you could have anybody you'd like to, you know, chat with about the process of making this film. She suggested Michael and we thought, great, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, it is by far the uh, fastest selling film of the four we're doing this year for really? the festival. Okay. We were wondering, is there an audience in the Alamo Draft House that, yes, there definitely will be. Let's do it. 330 seats. So uh, we anticipate that will sell out. Excellent. Okay. Uh, and that is Thursday, October 18th from 7 to 10 is right. when that particular event is. Okay. Uh, two other local big names, Amy Tan and Armistead Maupin. Am I saying his name right? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Which is an anagram for something. It's a pseudonym. He's oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you knew that. Well, it, it looks like a French name to me. I just assumed Maupin. It looks like even though that No, he, uh, I don't know what his real name is. Yeah. But okay. uh, he is from the South. He moved here in yes. the 60s or 70s and yeah. wrote for the Chronicle and Tales of the City rolls right, out of, of his columns. And yep. Anyway, uh, both he and Amy have been um, associated with Liquid for many years. We... Um, have featured them on and off uh, many times. And both of them have books this year. And we asked both of them, would you like to do something special? What if you were in conversation with each other? Mm -hmm. And they said yes. Cool. And I, I, they do know each other. I think uh, it's also selling really fast. That's going to be a big event. Yep. Uh, we did not call it Amy and Army, but we thought <laughs> about it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It's not too late. Well, I guess it is too late. The... the uh... The programs have been printed. Right. All right. right. That would have been a good one, though. And both of their books, interestingly, they're known for being, for being fiction writers, but both of their books this year are memoirs. Memoirs. Yep. So his was uh, Logical Family. Right. And is The Valley of Amazement. I don't know. If oh, I'm you're going to ask me for no, all the right, titles. Never mind. I don't no, know. No, I'm not. I'm I'll not because to, I don't uh, know either. All I know consult. is that Logical Family was his memoir. All right. right. Uh, so that event, Amy and Army, or what, what were you saying, Amy? What was the nickname? Amy and Army, yeah, yeah that we Amy did not Army, call it that. that. We are not calling it. It's Friday, October 19th from 7 to 8.30. All right. Uh, another, I don't know if they're, I guess they're both local as well. Dave Eggers and Mokhtar Alkhan Shali, the monk of Mocha. Right. Mokha. Right. Uh, Dave has appeared you know, on behalf of this book, you know, pretty much all year. It yep. came out earlier this year. Uh you know, he does Liquid whenever he has time. He's a very busy guy, but sure. he's been doing our festival since the early years, and uh, he was available, and we thought, great, let's 
let's let's do you know something uh, around this book and that will be at the mechanics library yep. uh, in their main floor so there'll be a lot more room with the picture windows um, for people who haven't seen him yet and uh, haven't seen you can actually uh, see him in conversation with the person that he wrote the book wrote about. The book about right 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 okay so another uh, this guy is not local and this I'm I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm kind of not because it just is what it is. But I finally saw The Sopranos. I finally watched The Sopranos just over the past year. And um, have you watched The Sopranos? Oh, saw the whole series. Yeah, okay. Um, Because I sort of felt as if I was the last person to see The Sopranos. And so, you know, you wonder because that that series happened quite a while ago, uh, like 10 years ago or even more. Um, So you kind of wonder if the actors are still out there doing things and... um, because I don't really watch any network TV. And so I was surprised to see Michael Imperioli. I can't remember his name on The Sopranos. He was one Christopher. of the main, Christopher, that's right. He, one of the main characters. Now I can remember his girlfriend saying it, the way she always said it. Uh, he has a new novel out, and it sounds really interesting. Yes. So his can first you tell book. us? Yeah, right. so can you tell us about that? Well, he had written um, for film and TV. He actually yeah. wrote and directed a few of The Sopranos Spike episodes. Lee also, yeah. Right. He was friends with... Lou Reed, the rock musician. Uh, Lou Reed passed away, and this novel is based in part on his friendship with Lou Reed as a young man in yep. New York. Yep. And that opportunity was really interesting for us. We we did not know about this book. We'd heard about it. We weren't sure if uh, uh, he was even available. He actually lives in Los Angeles. He's not a New York guy. Or yeah, I would lives, have thought he was a New York guy. He yeah. lives here now, yeah. uh, and and so it was a lot easier to sort of put it together. Yeah, and he will be talking with Tom Barbash. Tom Barbash, right? Barbash. Tom is a uh, a um, a writing professor and also a well-regarded novelist and nonfiction author. And he had written a short story that was selected for uh, the NPR program Selected Shorts. And Michael Imperioli was the actor who actually read uh-huh. his story. Okay. So. Uh, they know each other already through already. that connection, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't say or I didn't say the name of, of the novel, so I just want to throw that out there. So uh, The Perfume Burned His Eyes is the name mm-hmm. of the novel that we're talking about. So that should be really interesting. Another uh, event that looks very interesting, this I had heard about. Um, I don't know how recently this came out, but Ron Stallworth. Can you tell us about... Uh, his his story because it's a very interesting story and I'm I'm really curious to know more about the story now that I um, now that I've seen this description because like I said I'd heard about it but um, but anyway yeah what can you tell us about uh, Ron Stallworth sure um, Ron is from El Paso Texas and uh, one of our event producers Janine also helps with, uh, she actually designed our website her family uh, lived a few doors down from Ron in really? El Paso Texas really? and, interesting. Uh, I believe his they had the same English teacher or something. There's some really interesting Close personal connection. connection. Yeah. Uh, we learned of uh, uh, the book being published through her. Uh, he had published this account. He was a cop for many years in Colorado and in Texas, and he retired. He had written. It was very rough. It was kind of published on a blog at first, a, uh, a nonfiction account of this bizarre sort of period of his life where he infiltrated the KKK as a black police officer and pretended to be white. So well, and, see, that was my question. So he pretended to be white? Yes. Because in his picture, he looks... 
identifiably African American. Uh, if you've seen the film uh, or seen Which the film I have trailer, yeah, uh, you, you'll notice right away that uh, um, you know he he had his white uh, police partner detective um, play him whenever the Ron Stallworth had to make an appearance with the clan members and then this all happened in the 1970s okay and so at one point there were three or four different people who actually played the role of ron stallworth really either on the phone or in person interesting um but he answered an ad in a newspaper the clan had advertised looking you know like the marines looking for a few good men (laughs) i guess or whatever racist men right exactly Uh so uh, Ron was a detective, and he all, he worked on co- undercover already. And so he answered the ad. That's how this whole thing began. He was on the phone with them, and suddenly, uh, you know, this investigation went on for uh, quite a while. And so he he published his account as memoir uh, uh, of this. Um, ama- it's an amazing story. It sounds the like fact it. that it actually happened, and he, he was on speaking terms with David Duke, the head of the Klan, God. at one point, and they knew, you know, he knew his members of his family. And they were having these friendly chats. That's insane. It, it was really amazing. And, and it just makes me nervous to even hear about it because you just, even just listening to you talk, I keep thinking, well, how is he going to get caught? Isn't he going to get caught? Right. So that most seems... of it was over the phone. Yeah, but uh, still. but but you know, when his um, police partner would appear with the clan and go to these rallies in their living rooms, nobody noticed that his voice That's was, what was different. Say the voice and yeah, right. So interesting. Uh, uh, Ron, uh, eventually, um, I'm not sure if Spike Lee and Jordan Peele saw the book in this rough blog form. It was initially published by a, a police and firemen's uh, book imprint. <laughs> it was really small, <laughs> very specific uh, yeah, very uh, sort of niche you know, market. Uh-huh. I don't know uh, if you know that many people read it outside of the police and fire communities. Uh, and then he did get a book deal, uh, at a major book deal this this year. Or maybe it came out last year. But anyway, nobody knew about this book until Spike Lee got a hold of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. They, they bought the rights to the, to the, uh, to the book. And I, I've met Ron and his wife. They're, they're oh, yeah. great. They're great people. And he has uh, a crazy, crazy story. And now everyone knows about it because Black Klansman is um, such a hit uh, yep. a, a film. And so he will be speaking... Um, at Iliquake. Uh, Are you screening uh, the film too? The I film think. is, there's a film screening. I'm trying to remember. I believe the conversation is after the screening of the film. Yeah. Film screens at 7 p.m. On, preceding, um, yeah, pre, sorry. Preceding on, the conversation will right. be a screening of the film. Right. Yeah. That's our uh, our opening weekend, Saturday, October 13th at the Alamo Draft House. Uh, and Ron will be in conversation with Michael War, who is uh, a, an artist and a poet. He, uh, he worked at the Museum of the African Diaspora for many years. He has uh, a really interesting uh, website called The Armageddon of Funk. Okay, that sounds cool. Uh, yeah. I think they're going to have a great <laughs> conversation. So, All right, so let's do one more of these. I have a few more, but uh, sure. in the interest of time, let's do one more. And this one is John Freeman and author uh, Rebecca Solnit are talking about power, right. which just seems really timely and important and um, interesting. Right. So John uh, was an editor at Granta Magazine, and he launched his own quarterly, Freeman's Quarterly, it's called, and... Uh, they are on. Uh, they are publicizing the most recent issue, which right. is titled "Power," and so um, uh, Rebecca and we'll be talking with John about that. That's a City Lights bookstore event. It's free, 
and anybody, you know, just walk right in. Walk right in. Um, Tuesday, October 16th from 6.30 right. to 7.30. Right. Free. And most of those, are, I guess I kind of chose half and half just by chance. Most of the, a lot of those are free. Some of them aren't free depending on right. lots of different things. Okay. So there are a whole bunch more. Are there any other big ones that are just like glaringly obvious omissions that I made? Or is that kind of a nice sampling? I mean, because like I said, I had several more and I didn't really have a lot of rhyme or reason to how I chose those. Just right. some names I recognize, some subjects that seem interesting. Is there anything else that uh, you that's know, an okay sampling? I, I, I could go on for like an hour on each night you of could. the festival. If, but like uh, I said, we'll have to have you back tomorrow for that. All right. So let's move on then. Let's talk about um, one thing you guys do is, and I guess this is just sort of a way of organizing some of your events. You have what you refer to as panels, but it seems like the panels are really, like I said, sort of categories. So you have uh, three different panels. You've got art of writing, pursuit of publishing, and words from around the world. Right. So can you tell us, let's just start with the first one. Those are all one. happening on opening weekend, too. Oh, they all happen yeah. on opening weekend. Right. Okay, so that's also part of, I guess, mm -hmm. what uh, distinguishes them or, or what have you. So art of writing, what's that about? It's something we've been running for many years. We we invite people who, uh, authors who have newer recent books, um, broken up into categories which seem to make sense at the time. There's always art of the novel. Sometimes there's art of the short story. Sometimes there's art of the YA literature. And it's a panel discussion with short readings amongst these authors about what constitutes the art of writing this particular form. Sure. Telling this particular story. Um, it's definitely for aspiring writers. Um, they're very popular. We, uh, we've actually sold out of our uh, Pursuit of Publishing panels, which is a companion series to yep. the art of the writing. And those are sort of nuts and bolts uh, advice in various categories of how to get published. Yep. And again, aspiring writer audience, um, they, those have already sold out. We're actually um, meeting with a venue tomorrow to see if we can move it to a larger venue and really? offer more tickets. Oh, yeah, okay. Great. And then uh, the third panel then is wor words from around the world. Right, right. So this is sort of a series we launched last year in conjunction with various publishing houses and consulates. Uh, we have had over the years uh, the occasional international author in Lickwake. You know, a Tuesday night here, a, a Thursday night here, nothing, you know, uh, um, other than like a single sort of event. But we know there's an audience for this. There's, uh, there's actually the Organization Center for the Art of Translation, which is a national organization, which is based in San Francisco, one block from the Lickwick office. Oh, really? We partnered with them for this year, and we decided to combine um, as many events as we could into one weekend. Last year, we did an entire week-long series. Each night was something different, Brazilian authors one night, Irish poets one night, uh, European fiction one night. And this year we decided to combine them all into an afternoon of, of events. And there's authors from all different countries. It's, it's pretty amazing. It, it, that takes a lot to put together because you're, you're juggling, I don't know how many, you know, diplomats and consulate services and uh, publishing houses. And time to, zones even. And time and zones and bringing in these people and, like, connecting them and making sure that, uh, uh, you know, we can, uh, we, can, we can feature them. Right. And that there'll be an audience. Right. So. right. Well, I guess, yeah, because that's, that's also, also important. You're right. going gonna to bring them from all this way. You want to make sure that someone's going to show up. Right. 
There's nothing like flying across the ocean to, right. to, to speak empty, in front of yeah. four people. Well, how do you no. know, though? How do you know if there's going to be an audience? You have no, no idea. You have to trust your own judgment. You ask around. You read up on these, these uh, um, authors. Talk to the publishers why they, they publish this person or publish the translation of this person. So, yeah, it's a kind of a variety of things. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's another way of, of, of curating the festival, except that you're depending on a lot of you know, uh, other entities. Yeah, um, you can see the uh, the the list of people who are the the partners of this. It's astonishing. There's so many different moving parts to it. Yeah. So let's let's mention a few of these because sure. um, there there is there is an interesting a really interesting um, group here. So there's this is a name I know I've already struggled with a couple names, but this is one I'm really going to struggle with. Akweki Emezi. Is that sure. even remotely close? Sure. This maybe as close as you can get. I don't know. Um, right. Selves are not gods or spirits. So they seem like an interesting, um, like they have an interesting story as well. Definitely. Like so many. Um, South African, uh, uh, trans, recently, within the last week, no longer identifying as her, now identifying as they. Right. This is in partnership with the Museum of the African Diaspora. We uh, brought that idea to them. They thought, oh my God, we have to do this. Um, uh, so uh, Akweke is actually on the cover of the SF Arts publication, which appears... Appeared today in the Sunday New York Times. Perfect, huge, perfect timing. Full uh, page photo of her on the cover. Yeah, him, they, they. Them. Uh, yep. That is, uh, yeah, that just seemed like a really interesting. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of a um, mirror of society to see that sort of uh, you know non-binary, right, sort of tra- uh, gender authors. We have uh, also too late for the printed publication. Uh, uh-huh. This French author named Edouard Louis, mm-hmm. who is only in his mid twenties, and he's written um, an amazing book, which is sort of tearing up uh, the publishing industry this year, called "History of Violence." It's a novel, but it's largely autobiographical about how he was raped as a young man. Oh wow! Uh, uh, and it's very visceral. It's astonishing story. It, the the um, English version was uh, just published, and the French consulate contacted us the last minute, and they were able to help arrange for his uh, West Coast tour. And so we were really excited. We had wanted him for months and months and months, and we kept hearing, not going to be able to do it, not going to be able to do it. So at the very last minute. So his event is not listed in the program, but it is online. Okay. All right. You heard it here first. Go online. Get uh, get tickets for that event, because that's a... That is a ticketed, a ticketed event, event. Yes. right? Okay. At the Modernism uh, Gallery. The modern, gallery. Where's that one? Modernism. It's on Eddy Street. It's uh, uh, it sort of in the familiar. Tenderloin. Yeah, yeah. Very okay. interesting art space. Yep. Okay, so there, there's a lot more in that in the uh, what did I'm sorry, what do we call that? The world category. You had a better name for it. Words, words around the world. Words around the world. A lot more worth mentioning there. But let's jump to Lit Quake at the Alamo. We've already mentioned the Alamo a few times here. Uh, but uh, the Black Klansman event takes place the the at the Alamo Worlds with Worlds of Ursula K. Le Guin takes place there. Uh, but then there's another one that takes place there that looks like a lot of fun. One dumb guy, kids in the hall with Paul Myers and Dave Foley. So I guess that's a new memoir that that's come out about. It's actually a, a biography of the Canadian sketch comedy group Kids in the Hall. Okay, it's called One Dumb Guy. One that's dumb guy. based on one of their sketches. Right. Uh, the author's Paul Myers. He lives here in, in the Bay Area, in the East Bay. Uh, he's participated many times in uh, Lickwake prior. He 
alerted me months ago that this book uh, may or may not be available um, in time for Liquake. It was published by a Canadian publishing house. And at the very last minute, we learned that, yes, uh, the, actu- the, the book we, would be available in time. Um, so we went to the Alamo Draft House and said, are you interested in doing this event with as many of the Kids in the Hall members as we can find yeah. uh, the, who are available and screen their film Brain Candy? Yeah. And the Alamo said, of course, we've been wondering about, scre- uh, you know, thinking about screening Brain Candy anyway. Anyway. It's oh, a perfect, wow. perfect idea. Yeah. And Paul set us up with Dave Foley, who is one of the uh, members of the Kids in the Hall, who lives in Los Angeles. Very easy trip for him. And so the two of them will discuss the, Paul's new book, and then we'll screen Brain Candy after that. So that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be yeah, a lot there's, of fun. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the Kids in the Hall, their fans are rabid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I actually went and binge-watched a bit of uh, Kids in the Hall last night. Did you? Yeah. yeah uh, you know, I, I, I didn't watch <laughs> it when it first aired. Uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's... They they got away they 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 got away with a lot of things uh-huh. they really did uh-huh. because uh, I don't know why just because they are who they are because they yeah well, they were smart enough about it or yeah who knows all right so that'll be a great one uh, lots of great ones let's change gears here for a moment though because you do again so many different things uh, in the festival and so my hope here in this hour or so is to try to touch on give people a good overview of kind of what what you have going on. So another part of the festival is, um, or parts, is Kid Quake and Teen Quake. So can we just quickly touch on on what those events or those programs are about? Sure. Uh, the Kid Quake programs take place at the San Francisco Public Library, and it's essentially a destination for San Francisco Unified School District public school classes to sign, the teachers all sign up in advance, and then they bring their students to the library. And then we prepare... Uh, workshops and author presentations and activities for the kids uh this is a two this goes over two days and then er- every child gets a book too yeah which is awesome uh and i've attended a few of them and it's amazing i yeah. mean it, first of all it's amazing to you know these kids just roll in from bart and they just storm the library and <laughs> you know within like 20 minutes they're in costumes and they're acting out some sort of uh you know Greek tragedy or something, or they're yeah. drawing stuff, or they're listening to uh, authors. A lot of uh, uh, the joy of it is that uh, some of the kids have never owned a book before. Mm. So this is the first book that they get. Mm. And private schools ask to uh, to sign up for this all the time, and we say no. Yeah, It's for the public schools. Yeah, that's they, great. They don't have the money. Right, and that's, that's part of the point, is right. to give them this opportunity. Right. And again, just for some perspective, I think I said this in the beginning, but it's 750 ki- uh, books or 800 it's books 800, went out last 800 year. 800 books are yeah. given out each year, right? Yeah, which is I mean, that's kind of the fantastic. maximum. It could be larger. It could be its own festival. Mm-hmm. There is uh, uh, so much excitement around uh, kids' literature in general. Yep. The book industry, that's one of the big growth areas in the book world mm-hmm. are uh, books for children. Yep. And um, we just don't have the capacity. The library can only hold so many people. Yeah, we have like a group, a dedicated group of Kid Quake producers, and really they can only do two days. Yeah, and we're sort of like, okay, well, we're not a, a children's literature festival. This is probably going to have to remain uh, um, that size. One component of Liquid, right? Yeah, and the Teen Quake is sort of a uh, kind of a free floating series idea that kind of goes all over the place. Sometimes we have Teen Teen Quake Olympics where uh. everybody gets an award. Uh, sometimes there's um, events in different cities. 
different uh, cities too. Uh, well, Marin, Bay Area cities. Yeah, Bay Area yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and and this year, I believe there's uh, two or three events that uh, we have an open mic for under 21 at 826. Right, 826 Valencia, Valencia in the Tenderloin. Um, and then there's uh, um, there's two authors. They're actually a married couple, uh, Tahere Mafi and Ransom Riggs, and that's at Book Inc. Opera Plaza, and um, that's going to be huge. That'll be a packed out thing. It's uh. I can't remember. It's Friday, October nineteenth. The uh, sorry, I'm like thumbing through here. We were able to right. add it. Um, uh, she she writes uh, YA literature, uh, the Shatter Me series, and uh, and her husband Ransom Riggs uh, wrote the uh, Miss Peregrine's Peculiar Children novels. Oh, okay, uh-huh. and they both live in the Bay Area, so we were able to get both of them together. Uh, and that was kind of a last-minute addition, too. Uh, Not Your Mother's Book Club is this group that we partner with to present that event. Uh, most years, we work with them. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's another Teen Quake. And yeah, then, of course, great. there's uh, there's teen stuff at the Lick Crawl, too. Yep. yep. There's something for everybody at the Lick Crawl. There is. So that is – I don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but that's a beautiful segue. Let's talk about I Lick used to Crawl. work in radio. There you go. You've done this before, and it shows. So – uh, Lit Crawl, you know, I live in the Mission. I've lived in the Mission for a long time, and that's how I first heard about Lit Quake was because of Lit Crawl, just because what happened on Valencia. My like you just been walk overrun. out your uh, house and go, what's going on? Here? That is There's pretty much what happened. Nerds running down the street yeah. with programs yeah. and maps. Yeah, right? and then I realized, wait, I want to join them, and, and now, you know. I love hearing that. But yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I love hearing that that particular event, is, it's kind of a gateway into Wanting to be a writer or, just you know, yes. just uh, make making literature more a part of your life. Yeah. Uh, the Lit Crawl is because it's 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 not a conference. It's not a book fair. It's a freewheeling sprawl that takes over a neighborhood for four hours. Right. So we're kind of assuming people know what it is. So and I kind of right. I said it's kind of like a pub crawl, but for literature. But right. can you kind of it's a literary pub crawl? I guess yeah. you would call that. Yeah. But uh, it's so much more. It is. Um we divide the neighborhood into four, into three phases. We also do an outdoor stage each year, and this year it's going to be in the parking lot of the chapel. Okay, we're building an outdoor stage. Mm. We had done it in a, uh, in an alleyway of the mission before. Yeah, the one on the with the thrift right. store. What are the, with the murals? Right, right, and uh, and the chapel is now available to us this year. And it was, it's right there. It's almost the same right. block, was, I think, even or it's very close. Or something. It's yeah. very close. Yep. The neighborhood's changed quite a bit. A lot of the businesses have turned over since the Lickworld began for us in 2004. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe 30 events mm-hmm. in the middle of our festival. I don't know why we decided that. That was just a really <laughs> dumb idea. So we uh-huh. moved it to the end of the festival. So it yeah. sort of culminates with this. Oh, you were having Lit Crawl in the middle of the festival? Yeah, initially. the first year. Oh, yeah. The first yeah. year. Not... A, recommended a lesson quickly learned and so we moved it to the end of the festival and so everything kind of builds up to the lick crawl and it's a showcase of almost every imaginable sliver of literature in the bay area i mean there are so many different uh literary groups and reading series and small presses and uh just uh, you know friends will get together and submit us ideas we have a, a, a big submission process for the lick crawl and I was happy with it being 90 events this year, but the producers found so many events they liked and so many venues that were able to accommodate us uh, that now it's 108 
events. It's the largest we've ever done. So I'm, I'm curious. Most of the cities in, uh, in our Lickroll network around the world, <clears throat> they have 20 events. Okay. Or th- maybe, maybe 30. Yeah. Yeah. So this is. To do 108 in four hours is, uh, I don't know. It's really dumb. Well, and it makes it really hard to choose. <laughs> it makes it really hard to choose also. But um, one thing I was just going to ask you, though, is, uh, you know, you said more more spaces are, are making themselves available to you and that sort of thing. Do you find that that spaces in the mission up and down the Valencia corridor, they, they want to be a part? I mean, or I mean, it gets um, I guess it's going to be very, very case by case. Maybe that's not even a, a good question. I'm just in the early days of the lick crawl, they were very happy to open their doors, whatever business it was. Yeah. People came into a furniture store and did their readings while lying on a bed. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, the police station used to let us do readings there. Really? We used to always do crime readings at the police station. Though they, they said no. Uh-huh. Uh, they didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, there, there is, I think, less of a, a vibe of well, hey, let's just be a part of this crazy thing. Yeah. I think the businesses who have moved into the mission because the rent is so high. Different they, vibe. They, it's a different vibe. Yep. It's maybe less about this, you know, community spirit of literary freaks running in and out of your store. Yep. You're reading for one hour. All the events are one hour long. Uh, that Some of them say no. Some of them say, well, you, you have to pay us a bunch of money. Uh, it's always yeah. a... a, a um, uh, a bit of extra work for the Lickrawl produ- producing crew each year because the venues come and go. Mm-hmm. Some of them will always be there, uh, and God love them. They've hosted Dog-Eared Books has hosted you know something every year of the Lickrawl since 2004. Uh, but stores come and go, and you know the spaces are gone. There's yep. a new, uh, so it, it it kind of turns over quite a bit yep. every year. Yeah, I mean even if you live in the Mission, you can walk down. Valencia Street and realize when did that store close? No, I go away well, for a few months or something and you come right. back and you're like, yeah, that restaurant's gone and that right. store's new and yeah, right. it's 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 hard to keep up. A few things I want to throw out about this. So all of these events are free is the other thing. Oh, yes. So all of the, the Lit Crawl events, they're all free and it takes place in three phases. So there it's, there's five to six, 6.30 to 7.30 and eight to nine. Presumably that half hour gives us time to, to get right. to the different events. And then as you were saying, I mean, there's just so many different kinds of i mean it's the program is just overwhelming but there's there's lots of poetry i'm just going to cite some some examples poetry all the different writing groups around here have have an event not all but so many of the writing groups around here have events the publications local publications have events featuring their writers queer events uh, world writers women's voices gender race refugee immigration experiences um and then some uh some random samples of just some titles that kind of caught my eye. So we have sex, yoga, and chemo is one event. Noir at the bar with mystery writers of America. Uh, clit quake, clitter, clitterary salon, which I, I like. That's a great play on words there. Voices and writings from beyond prison walls, death, Dharma, and drag. And this, this you have to, I have to read the, uh, the explanation. Two Sikhs, three Jews, and two queers equal four writers, so presumably there's some overlap there, with stories from 10 years of sharing tea, tofu, and typing together on Tuesdays. So clearly they also love alliteration. Uh, But I thought that was a great fun. Then we have an event that I think is going to be stellar. It's just a gut feeling. It's called Encounters in Faraway Places. And like I said, I just have a really, really good feeling about that one. This is the one that features you. Oh, wait. 
You're right. Actually, I am in this one. I am in this one. You totally blew that. Yes. Phase three, eight to nine at House Cafe. Uh, the description here is traveling out of our comfort zones creates opportunities for discovery, transformation, and illumination. So if you're lit at the lit crawl, you're not sure what to do in phase three from eight to nine, stop by House Cafe. I'll be reading Savani Babu, Sabine Bergman, Carla Gambeschia, Gambeschia, I don't know, it's Italian. Jeff Greenwald and Larry Haberger will be reading. So, uh, so yeah, that is a, a, a um, not selfless. What's that? Shameless. That is a shameless plug. Shameless self-promotion. All right. The other thing that I want to make sure I mention, uh, because Matthew DeCoster is going to be on this show in two weeks to talk about it, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but another thing, it, it is an event at Lit Crawl, so I just want to at least mention it, is Literary Deathmatch. It's not at the Lit Crawl. Oh, it's not? It's in the middle of the week. Actually. Oh, sorry. It's in the middle of the week. Okay. Yeah. All right. I got that wrong. Uh, so anyway, can we just touch on literary deathmatch? Uh, that... Sure. It's kind of uh, – um, it didn't start in San Francisco, but it yeah. gained a lot of initial popularity. It was initially a, prog a project of Opium Magazine, a literary journal, and um, they invented this kind of a nightlife variety show. Uh, game show uh, uh, where writers are judged on on their uh, um, three different categories of their readings, and there's there's judges and there's writers, and it's quite popular. It's been going. They they pitch it to us every year at uh, <laughs> Watch uh, that. at Lickwake, yeah. and I've seen literary deathmatch in other cities, and um, it's kind of a sight to behold. It's a it's a series that that uh, uh, the 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 founder. Um, kind of flies all over the world and does it at various book festivals and literary. Andrew, Todd's, uh, uh, Todd Zuniga. Yeah. Adrian Todd Yeah. Yes. And he has a new book out. He has a new book out. I'm sure he'll tell you about it. I'm sure he'll tell us about it. <laughs> or yeah. I'm sure Matthew well, will tell Matthew you about will, it too. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you're right. And, and so that's Matthew the is room. right. And He's Matthew the is the producer of that event. The right. San Francisco event. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have never been to that, but I am going to go this year. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. And what I was surprised in there, uh, in their, real their you know their press reel or whatever they've got lots of big stars i mean it really seems like it's uh uh yeah they that's what they shoot for yeah exactly yeah, that's the uh that's the target okay all right so we are running out of time but there's one thing i want to talk about before we wrap really we've up. we've like gone that far i told you i told you before the show started he said how are we going to go an hour i said everyone says that and then at the end of the hour I mean, everyone says how i'm only at possible? page 25 on the program i mean i think okay. we could talk about right. it we're going to film more episodes after this we're going to wrap this up and then we'll do five more episodes um but as we've mentioned several times here and we've alluded to in other in other sort of indirect ways you know so much of what you do last year, 85% of the events that you did in the most expensive city in the United States were free. So that is not easy. And that is 85%. So you are, you have to work to make that work. So how do you manage to do that? Right. Well, we live in the most expensive city in the United States. Not everyone who's interested in writing and literature, you know, works at a tech company and has uh, vested uh, uh, options. options and it has retired, you know, uh, at, at age the age of 20, or 27 or right, whatever. Right. Um, not everyone is like that. And uh, we were writers. We still are the founders. We understand that a lot of things, you know, are expensive for people who are young and you, you're interested in writing and you want to get inspired. And so we... We've always tried to keep uh, as much of the... F the festival was free. Everything was free for 
as long as we could stand it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we had to start renting venues uh, to, and charging admission. And, and that's so, just because some of the things are so big that you basically needed to You know, you, uh, right. I mean, we, we used to use the Herbs Theater. We, we had to rent larger venues because of we'd come up with these ideas for a, a, a show. We did a 50th anniversary of Howl. The very night Ginsburg first read it in 1955, oh, nice. we did a 50th anniversary 50 years to the day later nice. with uh, the entire Howell reading from 1955 recreated, uh, including Michael McClure, the poet who at, was actually at the original reading. He came out and read the same poems he read 50 years earlier. Wow. Uh, and somebody else read Gary Snyder's poems. And then we had a video of Allen Ginsberg from a new documentary nobody had seen, Reading Howl. That was massive. Every beatnik in the Bay Area came out for that. It was packed. And, you know, you can't do that for free. Yeah. You ha- there's so many costs with some of these big theaters in, uh, uh, in San Francisco. There's union charges. There's a lot. It, uh, we have found that... Uh, um, you know, those events are hard to pull off unless you really have a great idea. And and uh, a lot of our events are uh, smaller by design. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, one th- one uh, statistic that I read somewhere on your website or in a program or somewhere, I don't think it was in your program, but only 2%. So uh, let me back up here. While 18,000 people attend Lit Quake events every year, 18,000, only 2% make meaningful donations. Yeah. So again, that just shows um, we really appreciate that they're free. But um, I just want to let people know that, given that you do need funds and that this doesn't just happen, you're you're, you're giving so much, you're making so much of it happen for free. But but there are costs. There are um, absolutely, and uh, it's it's more expensive every year uh, right. because the cost of living is so expensive in right. San Francisco. Right. Most of our staff doesn't even live in San Francisco anymore. Yep. Exactly. So for tell instance. me about lattes for Litquick then. So how, if I am a person and I want to raise this, this 2%, two percent statistic to, you know, to, and, and help out, how can I help right. out? That is a monthly giving program we came up with uh, lattes for Litquick. And you can go to our website and click the button on that says donate. And it explains uh, uh, all the different levels at which you can make a monthly recurring donation. Uh, that's very popular. Um, to do right now and it's it's like the cost of a couple of cups of coffee a month right you can help contribute to lick Wake. Um, we also launched a gofundme campaign for the lick crawl because the lick crawl is one of the most expensive nights in literary history in san uh-huh. francisco uh-huh. each year uh-huh. for us to put together yeah like the amount of staff and equipment rental and venues and everything it takes to put that together printing the map designing the map uh and there's an army of volunteers that help produce this. Yep. It's astonishing yep. uh, that it comes together every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, somebody, I think it was Dave Eggers said once that he could not imagine the Lick Crawl originating in any other city besides San Francisco. Mm-hmm. There is a, a community spirit here where people like to pitch in uh, for a worthy cause. And so we launched a GoFundMe uh, campaign this year. We've never asked for money before for the Lick Crawl mm-hmm. since 2004. Yep. We've never... Uh, once did a special just donate to lick crawl uh it was always sort of included with general donations for the rest of the festival but uh we put a goal up of ten thousand, and we're uh, probably at seven thousand right now and i think there's matching for that through october 15th or that's something, right if that's i recall right. so tell uh, us about that um so there are a couple of uh, um 
anonymous donors who uh, who are Can willing you tell to match the funds. Uh, anonymous <laughs> capital right. A. Damn, I was hoping for uh, like a you know an exclusive here. Okay, and we'll see how that goes. It's yeah. uh, it's actually uh, you know most of the contributions are ten dollars, twenty dollars. It's because people still want to see this happen. Yeah. It's just that it, it costs us more and more to do. And right. there's no way you can ever charge for lick crawl. There's no way. We, if you blocked off the street and hired, you know, police and porta potties, it would just be a nightmare of right. logistics. Or people uh, at the doors of every venue trying to get tickets, or that's just not going to work. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we we ask for donate. We have asked for donations at the lick crawl itself. It's very difficult to do. We have donation buckets. Right. We do. You know, we accept through Venmo. If people would just want to hit a Venmo and One send us, right, uh, they can do that as well. And so this, you know, covers the. Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars it costs us to do the lick wrong. Okay, well, if you're at seventy percent ish, right, and you still have two weeks looking at the date because it's right. through the fifteenth for the uh, for the double for the matching donation exactly. matching exactly. So, uh, people, you got two weeks. Get out there and contribute so that they can get their matching because it's a worthy event. It's a great event. You're going to go anyway, so you might as well help them to be able to keep doing it. Right. Um, and if you go to our social feeds, that GoFundMe post is pinned to the top of every one of the pages. Okay. And something else you just mentioned along these lines are the volunteers. So tell us right. a little bit about what the volunteers, what that program is like, and how, if I want to volunteer, how I would right. How I would do that. Uh, we have a button on our website, volunteer. Just, uh, just click that, and you'll uh, go into uh, Sign Up Genius, I think is the software we're using. And we have uh, a crew of volunteer coordinators, and we'll uh, offer you various events where you can assist in producing the events. You get to see the events for free uh, all week long. All of the events, all you know, the, however many of the events there are uh, during the festival itself, not quite 100, but close. Mm -hmm. And then the lick roll, too. You can volunteer at the lick roll. And we would love for you to especially volunteer at the lick roll okay. because it's always uh, uh, a challenge to staff it yeah get there's 180 people. events you know so uh and you know it's a big fun night out and we have a big party afterwards at the chapel yeah it's right. free every everybody can come so okay free party all right and we just mentioned the website a couple times but we haven't actually said what the website is so let me say litquake.org that's right the website so get to litquake.org to volunteer to donate to check out the program it's all up there right. And also to check out some of the events that you mentioned that weren't in the actual printed program yet. Right. So. The, uh, the online schedule is always the most current. Uh, we also have a, f a free mobile version that you can download to your device. All right. Of your choice. Of your choice because there's so many devices today, it's hard to keep up. And we have so many choices. All right. Jack, thank you very much for being here. This thank you so much. Thank and, you for uh, uh, helping us spread the word. Hey, I'm doing my, my little part. Happy to do my part. And I hope this year's festival is yet another tremendous success. We do too. Thank all right. you. Thanks. All right. That's all for today. Next week, as I said at the beginning of the show, cannabis activists David Goldman and Kenneth Michael Cohen will be on the show. And uh, thanks again to today's guest, Litquake co-founder, Jack Bolware. And last but certainly not least, as always, thanks to you for watching and listening. If you liked the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google, YouTube, everywhere else. That's how I get the word out, and uh, that keeps me going, and I, uh, like I said, I really appreciate it. 
For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com and links to my social media, books, other podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening and have a great week.